Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 205. Well, I, I was thinking about this, and something I have lived by is called Be Open to New Things and Never Quit Learning. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Steve Johan. Steve, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I sure am. All right. Steve Johan owns Sound Image Solutions, and he's the producer of the Hog Radio Show. Started in 2007, Steve and his co-host, Walt Fletcher, cover the world of motorcycling and rider lifestyle. He has interviewed many of the most well-known enthusiasts in the market, and his website is an extension of the show and features news, articles, and content covering the world of motorcycling. Steve, I've told my listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your business, and your passion for motorcycles? Well, uh, thanks, Mark. Uh, yeah, I. it's kind of funny. I, um, uh, and it'll kind of weave into some of your things you'll ask me later on, but uh, I started my business in 1997 called Sound Image Solutions, and I started out doing promotional products and advertising specialty you know, wearables and mugs and all that kind of stuff that you can put your uh, your logos on. And I did that for corporate mm-hmm. America. And I had some uh, Fortune 100 companies and 500 companies that I had built up over the years, and I got involved with that. But I also um, had a long-term love affair with talk radio. And I think that started in 1980 when I first went off to my first profession as a electromechanical drafting individual and got in the world of uh, oh, white-collar work and sitting at my drafting table, and I got a radio and started listening to talk radio, and it just opened doors for me, and I love learning, and I said, boy, wouldn't that be such a cool deal? <laughs> so then fast forward 2006, I had this idea, I've got this music thing I want to do, and so I started looking around and decided oh, I'll go rent some time on a local radio station at night, and um, I set it all up. I did. That lasted for three months, and $5,000 later, I said, I can't afford this anymore. Expensive Uh, hobby. (laughs) 
it, it was a very expensive hobby, but on the other hand, I go, well, I would have paid that if I went to DJ school. Yeah. And so all said and done, because of that, I ended up meeting some very indivi- interesting individuals who were online and did online radio and online podcasting. Mm-hmm. And I jumped out of that and got involved with uh, working with an on a 24-7 365 online rock station and started working with Don and try to market it, try to get it out there in syndication. Worked for two years doing that. Had no success. Had a lot of doors open. I, I made a lot of relationships, learned a lot about radio. And in the process of doing that, I was uh, I was on a trip uh, in the interim. Um, I took a trip with my family, went through South Dakota and all the great, wonderful places out there. We were camping, and I kept running into literally thousands of people on motorcycles, namely Harley-Davidson's. Yeah. And I scratched my head, and I said, <laughs> now there's an audience that needs a radio show. Maybe I ought to reach out to them because they're passionate. They love what they do. And so that put the germ of an idea into my mind. I came back, and I put together a plan, and told my partner, hey, we could put together an hour-long show, I'd do interviews, and then we could wrap advertising around it, and we could actually maybe make some money out of the deal. So he said, well, we'll try it. And long story short, a year later, uh, I launched it, got all my equipment, learned how to use it, and I just called up around to local Harley dealership, or actually motorcycle shop, mm-hmm. and, and I said, you know, who who do you know around there that might like to do some uh, radio work? And one person led me to another, to another, and I finally met Walt, and we met, and I told him what we were going to do, and he said, that sounds good. And four months later, we launched the show on November uh, 17th of 2007, and we just chatted, the two of us, and then the next week, I started lining up people locally, mm-hmm. and then people told me about other people, and I started calling, and one thing led to another, and here I am seven-plus years later. I've interviewed some of the biggest names in the motorcycling world, custom bike builders, uh, racers, lots and lots of AMA um, Hall of Fame racers. I even had Don Garlitz on. Uh, <laughs> so I've, I've covered the gamut, brought in more people in from the automotive side. And I'm going to tell you, Mark, uh, I know you're fairly new in the world of podcasting. Oh, yes. I have a Rolodex of people's names. And I am every week talking to somebody across the continent. And I've built so many cool relationships out of this. So the the fringe benefit, even though I haven't made a lot of money, is all the relationships yes. that I have gained. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, oh, um, it's it's a wonderful thing. And just like just like the world of cars, the world of motorcycling is a very small world. And you start talking to one person, they know another person, they know another person. And now when I go someplace, go to an event, I'll meet somebody, and they'll introduce me to somebody else. And it, it's just been a wonderful experience, and uh, I, I can't imagine not doing it. <laughs> to coin a phrase, it's been a great ride. It has. It's been a great ride. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I appreciate you sharing all that with me, and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of things I can learn from you, and that's what makes having you on the show uh, even better. You can be an inspiration to me as I try to build this uh, website in this podcast called Cars Yeah. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra 
And this is something that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Steve, I normally say take the wheel. I'll say take the handlebars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was thinking about this, and something I have lived by is called be open to new things and never quit learning. Yes. And as a small business owner, I've had to retool so many countless times in my life, in my career, I've had to retool so many times. I've had to learn new skill sets. I've had to learn new things. I've had to cope with the adversity of no money, um, the adversity of losing huge clients, not because I did a bad job, but because somebody above the heads of the people I was working with decided to change course, and I wasn't part of it, therefore you lose out. Mm -hmm. And I've constantly been open to learning new things. I'm a voracious reader. I constantly read business uh, periodicals, Forbes, online. I also like to read hobby things. I also like to just read history, you name it, you know, how to, how to improve yourself. It doesn't matter. I'm a learner. And because of that, it's allowed me to move in to areas I hadn't thought about. So when somebody suggests something, I'm like, well, I know a little bit about that. Tell me more. And that has opened up more doorways for me to move into different directions, which has been profitable and also just uh, as a human being, just allowed me to grow uh, exponentially rather than just sitting home doing nothing and staying with my same five cadre of friends that I've known all my life. I've got a vast <laughs> a vast number of people, and I continue to add new people. You're, you being one of them, Mark. There you go. Oh, it's a wonderful saying. I love it. Constant learning, never-ending learning is definitely the right way to go through life. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion. And again, I normally say for cars, but I know you do like cars as well, but cars or bikes, but is there a pivotal moment you remember in your life when you really knew you love things that rolled on rubber? I'm a guy and I'm I'm fifty five. I won't I'm not ashamed of that, although I in my mind I think I'm thirty five. <laughs> That's uh, a good way to think. It goes back to the sixties when I was growing up as a kid, being in elementary school, probably third grade and and uh, fourth grade and fifth grade, buying the Hot Wheels cars, buying the track, building models, um, being the first on the uh, on the neighborhood to go out and get the 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 it was a it was a knockoff brand of the Schwinn Orange Crate, and mm -hmm. it was it was actually I think a better bike, and it had a it actually had shock absorbers in the back. It was a chopper style with a drum brake on the front. And I was the talk of the town. I still have a picture of that. And <laughs> I loved that aspect. I, I would check out from the library anything that had to do with drag racing. And in those days, Wild World of Sports was on, so I watched drag racing Saturday afternoons. And I just fell in love with cars. And I grew up in a small town called Ferndale, Washington, just up north, close to the border on I-5 corridor here in Washington. And... It happens to be that there was an awful lot of muscle cars driving around, and I fell in love with the loud dual exhausts and the the aspect of speed and and all that that goes into it. And interestingly enough, my dad was the first person in our town uh, to 
build a dune buggy. Oh, and cool. He was, he was a do-it-yourselfer, loved working with wood, loving tinkering, and I remember he got the wild idea that, hey, I want to build a dune buggy, so he went to Bellingham, and we met some guy that, uh, Roland, I even remember the guy's name, Roland, and um, he had a blue one, and a kind of a turquoise blue, and he had been the first to build one in that in Whatcom County, and so my dad met with him. We talked, met him a couple times, and then Dad ordered the kit. We went out and got the uh, Volkswagen body or frame, and mm-hmm. I remember him chopping it and having it welded, and we doing all the work. And I helped him on that. And uh, boy, when he was rolling around in town, he was the talk of the town. My dad was the talk of the town because he's the only <laughs> guy in town yeah. <laughs> to be driving around with with a doom buggy and fiberglass body and the whole bit. And so. I guess I fell in love with that, and it went all the way through high school. A couple of my best friends, one of them had a Chevelle SS 69 Muncie four-speed, and he had the 375 Hypo. I'm sure that's what it was. And then it was, we would race uh, back in the day when... uh, (laughs) Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom, don't tell the law, but uh, drag racing was allowed and well on Bellingham and Ferndale. And... The other friend was Mike, and he had a 68 Dodge Polaris with a 383. And both of them had sticks, and uh, I got to drive them now and then, and it was a blast. And I remember looking at a Roadrunner. I test drove it, and something just didn't work with it. And I looked at a couple other muscle cars, and then I finally ended up just buying my parents' 71 Mazda 1800 because by that time I had crunched it enough times and learned how to use Bondo and primer, and I was pretty good with <laughs> auto body at that point, and I felt guilty. So I bought that and ended up just putting the killer stereo system in it. And so that was either go for long cruises, listen to great music, or go for cruises in my buddy's car and race around and, yeah. and crank up the tunes. And so ever since that time, I've had a love affair with cars. Eventually, in 91, I, I bought an El Camino, and it was a 68 SS396, all numbers matching. I still own it. And uh, cool. so that was my reflection on, oh, and my friend Bert, who had the Chevelle, his dad had a 69 El Camino. Now, it wasn't an SS, but it, so he, we would drive around either in that or the other one. And so consequently, I fell in love with Chevelles and El Caminos and all all matter of Muscle car and cars, and it's never quit. And then I bought my first motorcycle in 1980, and it was a 650 Special Yamaha, and I rode that for 11 years. So I, I've, I've loved it, and I still love <laughs> rolling, rolling pieces of artwork. I call them. There you go, Steve. What I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl into the hood a bit and ask you to share with me a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced. But, of course, the most important part of this question has to do with how you overcame it and what you learned from it. Yeah, well, I've, I've faced a lot of challenges. I think a big challenge with me was after seven years of being in electromechanical drafting, I decided that I wanted to try something different. And I went and got aptitude tested and found out, hey, I'd do really good in advertising. And I had always been an artist um, since day one and had I had my druthers maybe I would have went off to art art school back in 1978 rather than uh, uh, you know drafting school but nonetheless in 87 I, I I went back to school as an adult 
and went to the Art Institute for a couple of years, graduated with great hopes. By that time, I got married, and I had great hopes to go into the ad, ad world as an art director. Mm-hmm. And I beat the doors down, and I beat them down, and I beat them down, and I realized it was a very, very tight-knit group of people here in Seattle, and I wasn't going to get in. So I ended up going roundabout, becoming a production artist and a graphic designer and doing a lot of that in many different uh, shops, many different ways, even worked in a print shop for many years as a bindery person uh, part-time as I started learning how to do my own business. And in 97, I launched my own, like I said, advertising promotional uh, products business and Mm -hmm. started out with enough clients that I could afford to leave my part-time job. And I I realized I had to be on my own. I had always dickered with the idea of, um, I had, you know, I did my own shirts prior to that, selling them at arts fairs. And, um, you know, I've, I've tried so many, I'm an entrepreneur at heart Mm -hmm. and I've, I've gone down the route road to many different ventures all within the guise of my own business. And I've had very, very good years, and then I've had very lean years, and very good years, and very lean years. And, and, and all my buddies that, have, that are sole proprietors all, all have had the same thing. And I'm actually in a kind of a new, a new position where I'm taking the, the radio show after seven years and redoing things where it can be very profitable. But I'm on a new road again. And I think for me, the idea of never giving up, constantly looking and reading about other business owners and entrepreneurs and recognizing many, many successful individuals have gone through many, many failures and roadblocks, and yet they've kept getting back up. And let's face it, there's many uh, athlete, there's many uh, uh, race car driver, motorcycle riders that have had to do the same thing. And so everybody in their life has had to face roadblocks, be it relational issues. Uh, thank God I've got a great wife. We just celebrated 25 years, you know, uh, right. together. Congratulations. We're strong. So she keeps my back. She's supported me all the way along. I'm the dreamer, and she's the, the anchor, you might say. So <laughs> <laughs> There you go. But, yeah, so adversity, it's built my character, and I have a lot of empathy towards people who, who hit roadblocks, and I... I extend a lot of time towards people who have needs, and I share and I listen. And because of that, because I've been there and I understand what it means, right. and I don't blow people off. So yeah. that's the, the the bright side of it is I can be a shoulder for people to cry on occasionally, and I get to do that because of my position within my my company. I have the freedom to listen to people. So much of uh, entrepreneurship is knowing when to pivot. If you're digging a hole, knowing that uh, maybe you need to stop digging, get out of that hole, and start a new hole somewhere else. So, yes. Let's shift gears here, Steve, and go to the other end of the spectrum. And I'd love for you to share an aha moment you had in your career. You sounds like you probably had many of them, but if you can think of one that you'd like to share, and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. I guess one of the big aha moments for me was when I realized I didn't have to be on terrestrial radio. And I could actually have my own radio show and not pay somebody to be, because for those who don't know, unless you're a DJ or you're a talk show host with a local or a national show, 
anything on the weekend that you happen to listen to, they pay for that airtime. And I was being treated the same the same way by the radio stations, and I have been for the last seven years when I try to move into that. And I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm entertainment. I'm not a, I'm not an infomercial. And so when I discovered that you could get on the wild world of the internet, interweb, and do a show, grassroots market it, and end up with thousands of people listening to you, I realized there was power there. And Consequently, when I went online, it opened up the door for freedom. And so I can control everything that I own about my show. I control when it goes on, what I can do with the show, um, what, what forms I do with it. And it gave me, it was an aha moment because I realized it is, I keep, t- you know, I keep talking to other podcasters and people in this world, and I've real, they, they keep saying, oh, Steve, it's the wave, it's a wave. And I go, well, it's going to take a little time. You know, I started seven years ago, and it is taken off, mm-hmm. and it's only growing. I mean, people even listen to the regular radio shows. I listen to regular radio shows all online now through streaming, I don't, you know, when I'm at work. And the world is going online and TV's going online, movies are going online, everything's going online, or you get it pumped in when you watch Netflix. It's all through the online. Thank you very much. Let's move forward to a proudest business moment. Is there, I'm sure you've had many, but is there one in particular you could share with us? Some of the proudest moments has just been when I've had clients for six, seven years, and they've stuck with me. Mm -hmm. I had a, a very large company I was doing business with, and he was getting courted every week by different vendors. And I was meeting with him for uh, uh, for lunch. And he said, Steve, I just want to let you know that you came in, you worked with us, you built this thing up, and things are changing. And it's not because I want him to do. Um, it's because of corporate and things are completely changing. He says, but I just want to let you know, I've continued to do business with you because I like you mm-hmm. and the way you do business. Yeah. And I've had numerous people say the same thing over the years. Uh, it's the way you conduct yourself, it's the way you respect me, it's the way you treat me as a client, and that has gone a long ways, and that's been just a really cool thing to have people basically say, thank you for doing such a good job, and, and I value value you because I know that I have 50 other people I could go to, but I choose to go to you. So as a business owner, that means so much. Absolutely. It is all about the relationships. It always has been, and it continues to be. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory you had with that vehicle. Well, my first car would have been my the Mazda 1800. And I don't know if you remember what that looks like, but it was a four-door that my parents owned. And it was a stick shift. It was my first car. And I remember... Senior year in high school, I, I went to California in it with my buddy. We drove down to San Francisco and hung out in uh, Oakland and San Francisco, where his brother was for a couple, three or four days. And then we drove on down to Anaheim and we went to Disneyland and goofed around there. And then we came back up and went to uh, Crater Lake. And then it was snowing and we got up there and we thought we had to put on the chains and decided to forget it. And we followed a semi on the way out. And I took many a weekend trip up to Vancouver and Seattle and stuff. And that car was a reliable little car. It went all the way back down to Phoenix with me. I'll tell you a story. I, I was heading down to Phoenix. I stopped in Wairica, California on my way down my first day 
because my engine uh, overheated and blew a radiator uh, radiator hose. And I pulled into a gas station. They didn't, oh, you blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, great. And so, well, there's a foreign car guy that works on him. So I took it out there, and he looks at it. He says, ah, it's warped head, blah, blah, blah. Well, I had just rebuilt the engine about three months earlier with my dad. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe that's what it is. So I'm staying with this guy. By that time, I had met a guy that owned a radiator shop, so I got kind of knowing him. But I didn't think about radiator. So I left the car, got in a bus, went on down to Phoenix, stayed there for a couple months, going to school, and then I hopped the plane, came back up to Reading. By that time, I went to pick it up, and the guy that I did the radiator shop says, you know, while I was out there, I grabbed the radiator and I rotted it out, and that's what was the problem. Hmm, yeah, <laughs> <And> <laughs> something <I> thought, simple. <laughs> I'm like, it was that simple, and I spent how much money? And because of that, I realized... Anytime you go to rebuild an engine, you better do something with the uh, radiator. And and consequently, a couple of people that I knew who had rebuilt their cars, they were like, geez, the car's getting really hot. I says, did you do anything with the radiator? No. I go, go get the radiator done. Sure enough, that's what it is. And it's so interesting. So I've been able to help other people out because of that. Yeah. But that was quite, quite the adventure in my car heading down all on my lonesome self and having it fall apart. And, uh, you know, those kind of things make <laughs> give for great stories. I've told it many a time, and I'll tell it many a time again. But it was a, it was a wonderful thing, and I loved that car. I drove it until it fell apart. And I had, the, I had the killer tunes, though. I'll tell you what. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've let go that you really wish you could have back in your garage? Um, no. No? Okay. Well, that's simple. I, you know, and, and, and I'm not, uh, unlike our good friend Lance Lambert, or maybe yourself, who's gone through many a car, I've never been in the uh, the catbird seat I financially to just keep cruising through one car to another. And I tend to be, like I said, I bought a 68 El Camino, and I still own it, and I'm going to be restoring it. That's I'm actually in the process of remodeling the house. But once that gets done... My wife's giving me the thumbs up, and that's the car that I want to own probably for the rest of my life, and I want to take it back to like it came off the showroom. It's never been that way since I've owned it. And so that's the car I want to take back and completely rebuild it so when I drive around and my boys drive it around who are going to help me redo it, I will have the car that I've always wanted. Yeah. So <laughs> wonderful. I love it. <laughs> no remorse here. Oh, that's good. Now, this next question is very introspective for many people. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? 57 Corvette. And why is that? <laughs> what is it about the 57 that says Steve? Uh, it's a very unique, one of a kind car for its type, it, it stands out from the crowd. It's a little rough around the edges because that, that model, they were still dialing it in. It, it wasn't near as good as, let's say, a 63 or a 75 or a current. But for its time, it was really good. It was a fast car. It, it stood out, and I kind of consider myself that kind of an individual. Cool. I love it. We're about to enter the last lap. But before we do, here's a word from our sponsor and Cars yeah guest, Dwight Knowlton. Carpe Viem, seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find The Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. 
It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an inspirational award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kids' car book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the little red racing car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find his book, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E gear.com. All right, Steve, we're back, and we're entering the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. Are you ready? Yep. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Don't go in debt buying a car. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your successes? Ask for help. Yes, (laughs) definitely. Do you have a resource that you would share with our listeners? Maybe it's a website or a blog that you're really fond of, you think they would appreciate knowing about? Well, our website, of course, but that's a that's a difficult question because I I have about a thousand different websites in my different favorites and mm-hmm. I and I catalog them all. You know, one that I just came across that's not it, it's been out there for okay. There's two. I love Forbes.com because mm-hmm. I love the articles, and then there's one called Prager University, and that's put on by Dennis Prager. He's a conservative talk show host, but he's also a very thinking talk show host. He He's on in the morning, same time as a Rush Limbaugh, so I don't listen to Rush, I listen to Dennis. And he has a Prager University, it's just PragerUniversity.com, and on it he has like five-minute educational things, and various different people come in there, everything from uh, religion to business to life to all points in between, and I love learning, and I think anybody would love to go there and just, hey, spend a few minutes learning something new every day. How about a book? I know there's lots, just like resources on the web, but is there one in particular you think the Car Shadow listeners should read? Well, besides the Bible, because that's my book that I live by, um, Mm -hmm. I would say a very short but in-depth reading is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Ah, yes. Great. Listeners, you can find links to all these great resources at carsyad.com slash stevejohan. All right, Steve, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because today I'm footing the bill, what would that one vehicle be and why? It would probably be that 57 Corvette. Oh, okay. You threw a little curve at me there. And again, what is it about the 57? You shared a little bit about that, but is there something else in particular? Probably because my neighbor had one. He was a car nut and, again, Growing up in Ferndale, he had a 57 Nomad. My other neighbor had 55, 56, 57 Chevys. And then the the same guy that had the Nomad, and that Nomad was beautiful, that uh, forest green, metallic, beautiful Nomad. And he had a a project car, and I believe it was a 57. I know a lot of people love the 63. I had a little model of a 63. But that, that 57 is just kind of a magical year, even in the trucks. If you look at the trucks, the Chevy trucks, yep. beautiful short bed Chevy. It's a beautiful year. And besides my El Camino, which I'd have to have there too, but I already <laughs> own that. So. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Well, Steve, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yacht listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Corvette? It's never too late to do something new, whether it's starting a business, a hobby, uh, learning, you know, meeting new people. Uh, there's always too much time to watch TV. There's always not enough time, unless you make it, to actually go out and do something new. And life's short enough, and I'm all about trying new things, and that's what I would tell people. Get out there and do something new, even if it means getting to the gym and learning how to get in shape. Whatever it is, it's never too late. Great advice. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing? Well, just go to www.thehogradioshow.com, and uh, you'll see all about our show. And there's a contact form on there. If you want to contact us, that'd be great. And I'm really good about responding to email. Absolutely. That's how I found you. And we've shared a lot of the same guests, people you've had on your show. You mentioned Don Garlitz. He happens to be the Cars Yacht guest today as we're recording your show. His show went live. So I would encourage listeners to check out what Steve's doing. Listen to his interviews because he has a whole nother slant, whole nother angle that he opens up his guests with. And I think you'll have a lot of fun there. You can find links to everything we talked about today, again, at carsyad.com slash Steve Johan. Steve, thanks again for being so generous with your time and your expertise and, and for sharing your stories with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. It's been great. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to carsyad.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!